War in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. Folks, remember, for all your tree service, well, you want to call Yankee Tree. Call them today, 401 439-6028 439-6028 Yankee Tree Service YankeeTreeService.com What can they do? They do it all. Tree trimming Experts based right in Lincoln Tree removal since 2006 and also 24-7 emergency service available. Call Yankee Tree Service today 439-6028 439-6028 Whether it's tree removal stump grinding, tree pruning emergency service bucket truck at service and bobcat service since 2006 they've been performing tree removal service on top of that nothing stumps yankee tree service they provide stump grinding enjoy your landscape without the eyesore as far as pruning well let them get up there oftentimes a tree can be pruned instead of cutting it down at yankee tree service their licensed arbiters help you decide what's best the treatment plan for your tree and maybe it's an emergency service did something come down call them today 439-6028 439-6028 if they have to they get right up there in the bucket yankee tree service since 2006 tree trimming experts give them a call 439-6028 or online at yankeetreeservice.com Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, dePietro.com. It's Thursday. It is July 21st. And President Biden has COVID. I am not surprised. News is just breaking. Uh, When he was at TF Green Airport, he was Hillsgrove yesterday. I was shocked at how much handshaking was going on. And then at the event that he was butchering all the names but President Biden has tested positive for COVID. Now, that is also, make no mistake about it, I think that is, um, it shows carelessness. Anyone that encounters him is supposed to have a COVID test. And, um, and the fact that they allowed this to happen yesterday makes it even more what an unnecessary photo op that was yesterday. And it was nothing more than a photo op. There was no reason for him to make this trip. There's nothing going to change from it. And whether it was him yesterday butching the names of Representative Jake Austincloss, calling him Austin Sauce. Austincloss Sauce. Where is she? There you go. Where is she? Good it's Warren. a he. Conversations. Austincloss Sauce. Where is she? There you go. <laughs> Good Warren. Conversations. Austincloss Sauce. Where is she? There you go. It's Good a Warren. he. Conversations. And then when he dropped the bomb that he's got cancer. Guess what? The first frost, you know what was happening? You had to put on your windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. Yes, cancer. cancer. For the longest time. Wow. Delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation. Well, the White House then walked back that statement. They walked it back saying, no, he does not have, he does not have cancer. But that is the big news. Of course, it was totally unnecessary to make the trip. And not only does President Biden make the trip, but on top of that, he also has now tested positive. First Lady uh, Jill Biden tested negative for COVID this morning in Detroit per her office. So, So first cancer, now COVID. He just can't catch a break. President Biden has tested positive for COVID, very mild symptoms. He's 79. That trip was unnecessary. The question is, do you think, did Governor McKee give it to him? Did the mayor of Warwick give it to him? Maybe it was Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, perhaps, that did. But the White House said the press secretary will brief the press along um, with uh, the president has tested positive for COVID. Folks, that's a failure. That is absolutely a failure. The fact that uh, the mild symptoms of this, but he was supposed to be being careful about it and testing and everyone around him. That we're getting from 
um, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre saying, in fact, uh, he is fully vaccinated, twice boosted. He's experiencing, as they are putting it, um, very mild symptoms. He's also taking uh, Paxlovid at this moment. We are learning the president has, in fact, tested positive uh, for COVID-19. He has been twice Biden has COVID. shots at this point. And I'm just going to read for you a statement that we're getting from um, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre saying, in fact, uh, he is fully vaccinated, twice boosted. He's experiencing, as they are putting it, um, very mild symptoms. He's also taking uh, Paxlovid at this moment. Uh, consistent with the CDC guidelines, they go on. He will isolate at the White House and will continue to carry out all of his duties fully uh, during uh, that. Does that mean that Harris, folks, this totally upends the news cycle now? And the question of whether or not um, is it possible that, uh, I mean, I, I am hearing that all, they're blaming Governor McKee, saying that Governor McKee gave President Biden COVID. Um, the question is, was it intentional or in, unintentional, I should say. But that is the latest now. Now, the mayor of Warwick, they're also questioning why was he out there, shouldn't have been out there. And now... Um, there's a lot of finger pointing and questions on exactly how this happened, how so. But repeating the big story, President Biden has tested positive for COVID. We're going to um, follow this story. Um, let's see. Governor McKee right now is trying to sidestep it and not answer any questions about it. But we're going to uh, follow the story, folks, again. Repeating the big, and it will be the big story of the day, and actually even two days, maybe even three days now, President Biden has tested positive for COVID. Much more ahead coming on the John DePietro Show. J. Perry Paving. Folks, you can depend on J. Perry Paving. They provide high-quality, fair-pricing, exceptional service over 20 years' experience, specializing in commercial paving, residential paving, seal-coating patios, and much more. Call them today for a free quote, 401 732-1730. J. Perry Paving. They are tremendous. They also, how about this, once a month, they provide a free paved driveway to a veteran. And remember, whether it's a brand new paving project or just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed, call J. Perry Paving for a free quote. It makes a huge difference in your property, in your home, in your driveway or patio. 401-732-1730. J. Perry Paving, 401-732-1730. You can also find them on Facebook. They're terrific. Hey, get that driveway paved. Call and book an appointment now, 401-732-1730 for J. Perry Paving. Folks, you are listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, Petro.com. It's time for our legal segment. Joining us right now, one of Rhode Island's top attorneys, he's our legal expert. It is attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, I'd like to start off the much-anticipated Tony Silva, former police chief in Cumberland. He's also ran the DMV. He was lieutenant governor, McKee's chief of staff. He was, for a short period of time, the governor's chief of staff. Ran into some problems with some wetlands he was trying to develop. Uh, it was Governor McKee that kicked it to Attorney General Nerona to look into it. And to his credit, Attorney General Nerona issued, I thought, totally transparent. Here's what happened. Here's what we did. I think they talked to 19 people. And here's why Tony Silva is not going to be charged. Yes, it's a little unusual that um, Peter Nerona would come out with the results of an investigation most people who are looked at criminally don't get that sort of courtesy to have the AG essentially, I don't want to say clear the um, target of investigation publicly. Um, uh, Silva was cleared from a criminal um, exposure, but certainly um, Peter Nerona's report um, really castigated Silva's conduct in a number of ways, um, uh, noting that Silva uh, pushed um, threw his weight around, I think was one of the expressions um, that he br- tried to bring pressure to bear, um, things that saved uh, Silva from a potential criminal prosecution included that a lot of the 
pressure that he was putting on uh, DEM officials occurred while um, the governor, Governor McKee, was still lieutenant governor. And as lieutenant governor, would not have had any direct control or influence over DEM. Uh, further, um, I guess in speaking to everyone that was contacted, there was no suggestion that um, Silva attempted to extort anybody or to bribe anybody um, in order to get the result that he was looking for, was, which was to get clearance to build um, a house on a lot which was largely considered wet and unbuildable. Um, did he use his influence or did he attempt to use his influence? Of course he did. Um, but uh, Nerona concluded that the conduct, although you know, not very flattering, did not rise to the level of criminality. It, it almost reminded me of when James Comey came out on the Hillary report yep. and, you know, saved her saying, well, was she negligent, you know, using all sorts of words, any other words than the words that were in the statute at that time to avoid um, ringing the bell in terms of the definitional section of um, federal statute that Hillary could have been seen to have violated. It seemed like Nerona kind of bent over backwards to try to say, what um, uh, Silva, Tony Silva did was, uh, you know, throwing his weight around, um, exerting a lot of pressure, but a lot of it phone calls. a lot of phone calls, but it yeah. didn't rise to the level of criminality. Um, did politics play any role in the decision that Nerona made? Um, one can always think that would be part of the case, but whatever the public thinks of Peter Nerona, he's always struck me as a pretty straight shooter. So I think yeah. that his conclusion uh, based upon his investigation is the right one. Uh, Silva smartly has said nothing. The governor said, yes, what Nerona found is what I suspected all along, that there was no crime here and the case is closed. Well, the governor might think it's closed, but I'm sure it'll still be election fodder for his yeah. opponents going forward. But Tim Dodd, Peter Nerona, also uh, Attorney General Nerona, basically said it didn't meet the states, I believe, meet the burden. All they looking for is was a crime was committed. Uh, you know, here's Silva running around. He wants to meet with the mayor of Cumberland, and it has nothing to do with really town business. It's this personal issue. All these calls to the DEM, you know, it's kind of working its way through the, the chain. People are aware of it. High-level people at DEM are aware of this. Again, it has nothing to do with anything in his his job as chief of staff to lieutenant governor, or for that matter, the governor, it's all this personal business. But what may have crossed the line, because Nerona, I believe he said in, in the report that it just didn't fully meet the burden of, you know, what, what we describe as, as extortion or bribery. What, what could have or would have had to have trans, transpired in order to maybe in this scenario within it, it maybe would have met that burden? Making up a hypothetical, nothing that's reality, but just yeah. hypotheticals. If Silva had called the DEM people and said, listen, if you don't help me out on this thing, you know, those two new positions you're looking to have filled, that might get jammed up this year. Maybe you're not going to get it. Maybe okay. you're going to have your budget cut, yeah. you know, financial repercussions, staffing repercussions, um, I don't think Silva would be so foolish as to be so blatant to do something like that, but where there'd be a quid pro quo or essentially a threat um, extorting saying, if you don't give me what I want, it's going to cost you in terms of manpower or uh, finances. So that could have led to something. And, you know, in addition to the Nerona uh, investigation and now report, Correct me if I'm wrong, but my re recollection is that the uh, Ethics Commission didn't find any Correct. any cause either. So yep. now you've got the Ethics Commission saying, this doesn't look great, but it doesn't violate the ethics rules that we've got yeah. in the state. And Narona said, this doesn't look great, but he really hasn't violated any law. He doesn't come, Silva certainly doesn't walk away from this with high praise. I mean, it's everyone's looking at him with a jaundiced eye saying, what were you doing here? This, this didn't seem right. You were pushing yeah. your weight around. You were doing a lot of things and making a lot of calls and bringing a lot of pressure to bear. 
So he doesn't come out of this looking great. He just doesn't come out of this looking um, charged with a crime. Tim Dodd, it, it, it's kind of reminiscent of it. Remember the old CNC line, the toe you step on today is connected to the ash you may have to kiss tomorrow. With the university club, because they wouldn't let him be a member, you know, apparently the allegations were he was holding up this expansion remodel they wanted to do. They go and meet with him. They tell him, guess what, uh, Alan Del Piso, we're going to give you a, a lifetime membership for life, not just for the mayor, for you. And, and you know, in hindsight, it's too bad he accepted it because that almost kind of cemented the deal that, that it intimated there was a quid pro quo. Yes, that's exactly yeah. right. That's a, that's a good analogy. And, okay. you know, that's the sort of – so many – politicians or other public officials get jammed up on little things like a little stupid house lot, a little stupid membership to a private dining club. Those are the things that get you jammed up instead of like big picture items. It's astonishing that it happens over and over again. Yeah. Now, Tim Dodd, while we on this on Friday night, uh, channel 12 WPRI, they broke the story that speaking of the university club in Plunderdome, that they have been subpoenaed for some information. They wouldn't get into exactly what it has to do with uh, involving Governor McKee and the, quote, FBI probe involving his dealing with the the ILO group. Um, I believe one of the members involved with the ILO group, now defunct, I believe, uh, is a member, was a member, excuse me, of the university club. Is, Is that the type of thing, Tim Dodd, that maybe, you know, if someone says, just as an example, I think we met on such and such a night. That's where we met, have dinner, discuss it. Is this all part of, you know, they, they want to go through and thread the needle and make sure that when that person claims, just as an example, you know, we had a meeting there. They maybe even get the surveillance tape. Okay, there they are. They're meeting. It's just the three of them. Like this person said, they're sitting at the table. Okay, they said they were an hour. They were there an hour. Is this uh, maybe because there's no reason to believe that the university club is somehow mixed up in this? No, not at all. I I, I think that it's simply corroboration. If a potential witness says, you know, the four of us had dinner at the U Club on such and such a date, you know, good good investigative work would say, oh, let's make sure that's true. Let's make sure that, you know, that's a fact that we can back up with independent verification. Um. Many times, you know, defendants, and again, I always suggest that if you're the target or if some cops want you to come in to speak, don't do it. People come in and they say, oh, no, I, I was here. I was at this location. They come up with a story. The cops go out and they vet that information to see if it's true. And it's not true. And mm-hmm. now they've got the guy lying to the police, making a false statement. And, you know, the thing can expand from there. Um People think they can lie to cops all the time. Now, I'm not Ooh. suggesting that's happening with this ILO investigation, but the cops have to verify the accuracy of the information they're getting. If it's accurate, good. They put it in the facts that they can back up. If it's not accurate, then they go back to this person who gave the information and press a little harder. You know, why would you tell us this? You know, right. is, is your recollection any better today than it was a couple of weeks ago? And, you know, press that person for their truthfulness and credibility. Tim, before we take a break, is that also something that can also determine, you know, if they're interviewing someone and they say A, B, and C, and if A, B, and C pan out exactly, compared with someone else that, you know, A doesn't pan out exactly, B does not pan out, and C is nowhere. Does that somehow affect how they might handle someone in an investigation? Well, sure, because if they're getting lots of disparate stories from witnesses who all claim to have been involved perhaps in the same event or events, you know, if the cops are learning different versions of reality, you can be sure that if charges were filed criminally, let's say, defense counsel would soon figure out that there's a number of different stories that don't hang together. Yeah. You know, that's the type of thing that can create reasonable doubt. Folks, we're going to take a, a quick break. Much more. Legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro Show. Propane Plus in Rhode Island for all your propane needs. Call them 401 885 4209. In Massachusetts, you can reach them at 508 252 3359. 
propane heating and cooling it's propane plus their team's been there three generations they're available 24 7 for service and delivery and they plan on serving you for a long time to come they offer online billing ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button and remember all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment it's propane plus and remember with propane it's affordable sustainable equitable good for the environment and now it's renewable call propane plus today at 401-885-4209 in massachusetts call them at 508-252-3359 they're very easy to navigate website it's propaneplus.com propane plus call them 401-885-4209 we're speaking with our legal expert attorney tim dodd tim this uh next story that i just want to get your take on i you know i saw yesterday a clip and it showed a Capitol police officer and it's like whoa they have aoc she's got her hands behind her back the Capitol police look like they're leading her and then it it comes to find out that she did not have handcuffs on and and basically was just being moved out of the road and i don't even think officially arrested did i did we miss something or they they weren't like officially arrested were you they're brought down you know mugshot maybe in the holding tank whatever it's as if and she didn't even have handcuffs on no that's the only thing missing was the handcuffs (laughs) i'm not i'm not really sure if she was actually charged with a crime i mean there was a nice splashy story on the news that the 20 most or so most liberal right um, squad the squad and members of the house they show them all, you know, that they were all at this um, anti um, uh, the decision that overturned Roe, uh, supporting uh, abortion rights at this um, march or demonstration. You know, AOC is great. You know, she never, I don't think the media ever fails to get her on because she, I'm sure it creates ratings and she knows how to utilize the media for her own purposes. But by the same token, she's kind of an idiot. <laughs> she is pretending to be handcuffed right? In, because the camera's on her. And then she looks at her supporters, raises her right um, yes. arm and, and raises her fist like in solidarity and then goes back to putting her hand behind her back as if she's handcuffed again. Um I don't remember seeing that before. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Omar was doing it too, Representative Omar. And they have no sense of irony. I mean, I'm sure that on certain, you know, depending on where people consume their news, the fact that she wasn't handcuffed and pretended to be was probably left uncommented on in certain quarters. And they would just say, look at this brave congresswoman being led away by the cops. It's, it's, It's all phony. Let's talk about Steve Bannon. Can he get get a, a fair trial? He's emerging. I like the description. He's almost like the the G. Gordon Liddy of his time. Um, what, what do you make of this? You know, it's misdemeanors, but what do you make of this case against Steve Bannon? Well, your question is, can he get a fair trial in the District of Columbia in yeah. a federal court? The answer is no. He can't no. get a fair trial. Right. Well, let's just look, you know, briefly at uh, the case John Durham brought against Michael Sussman. That was the same setting. Uh, I think some of the jurors in the Sussman case were um, acknowledged contributors to Hillary Clinton's presidential (laughs) campaign. And uh, and both sides let them sit on the jury. So what the hell kind of a trial are you going to get when you've got, you know, biased jurors? Um, I think 90% of the population of the district, which is where your jury pool comes from, are registered Democrats. Um, I don't know how one gets a fair trial if you're in the Trump orbit or you're a Republican. Um, The charge is a rather minor one. Um, He's alleged he's charged with being in contempt of Congress. He claims that he thought that the negotiations were going on to determine the time and the place when he would appear. Um, it just didn't happen on the date and time set forth in the um, subpoena. Yeah. And many times that when you appear is subject to negotiation between prosecutors and um, counsel for the presumed witness. Yep. Um, 
the judge, I understand, is a Trump appointee. The judge, by the way, that shouldn't make any difference. The right. judge is not giving an inch to Steve Bannon. Bannon asked for a day continuance of the trial, denied. Bannon asked for a month continuation of the trial, denied. Yep. And um, the judge has already preliminarily limited the defenses that are available for Bannon to put in front of the jury. So can he get a fair trial? It doesn't sound like it. The best he can do is put on a case, hope that within the course of the trial, prosecutors are allowed to ask improper questions yeah. or the judge doesn't let defense counsel ask proper questions or the judge improperly instructs the jury. In other words, hope to create reversible error during the yep. trial so that when you go up on appeal, you can either get a, um, a guilty verdict flipped or at least get a new trial. But if I was Steve Bannon, I wouldn't be holding my breath and I'm going to get a fair shake. Too bad I spoke with Peter Navarro the other day. He said he, if he looks out his office window, he can see the FBI building. He could. He was a kicker apparently in high school. He said he could kick a field goal, hit the FBI office. He gets to the airport, Reagan International. He, he gives his ticket to go through, and on the other side, right as you're about to enter the plane, like you go from the gate to the plane, are six FBI agents that grab him and put him in shackles, and then they even said to him, the holding tank, do you know this is the same holding tank where they had uh, Hinckley when he shot Reagan? Tim Dodd, that, that seemed really over the top on uh, Peter Navarro. He's 73 years old. Well, you know, this administration is utilizing, I guess we could call it Gestapo tactics. They did yeah. the same thing. Roger Stone, a man, an older man in his yeah. mid to late 70s. You know, they show up at his house with a SWAT team, people yep. with, you know, the, the cops with submachine guns, you know, basically tactical gear. And Roger Stone comes out essentially in his bathrobe saying, what's going on? <laughs> but if anyone out there in your listening audience despises Donald Trump, despises his policies, despises his administration, you might look in on this and said, Good enough that they roughed up Roger Stone. Good enough that they roughed up Peter Navarro. But it's not, because whether it's your team that's getting abused, like the Trump people are, or someday the team that you like is being abused by the opposition, it's not a fair-handed administration of justice. And traditionally, this is not how we did things in this country. This is maybe right. what you find in Cuba or Venezuela yep. or the old um, Soviet bloc, um, but not here. And the fact that it's happening and, you know, the fourth estate media doesn't really say anything critical of this type of police work um, should disturb everybody, whether you love Trump or whether you loathe Trump. This is a disturbing trend. Um, and it's not consistent with, you know, due process in this country and the equal and fair administration of justice. This is craziness. This is scary third world banana republic stuff. Folks, we're speaking with our legal analyst attorney, Tim Dodd. Tim, before the break, it was the uh, terrible incident at Tommy's Clam Shack. Uh, you know, it's a roadside place, Warwick Avenue in Warwick. And as someone was apparently getting set to... She misjudged. She meant to press on the brake and said she had the gas. She went, boom, gunned the car right in. There's been a fatality there. And I want to credit Channel 12 noticed that within the next day or two days or whatever after that, they put up barricades that apparently restaurants can get. Is this potentially, Tim Dodd, some kind of a liability lawsuit that if you are eating at, in this case, a clam shack, you're sitting outside at a picnic table, that you have a reasonable right that the restaurant needs to have barriers that would safely protect you from people that are, you know, coming and going from the parking area. Yes, there's absolutely a lawsuit here. Yeah. And I hope that uh, this clam shack has enough insurance. The fact um, that they put these barriers up a day or two after this tragic accident mm. it's a subsequent remedial repair that can come into evidence at trial 
to show that, hey, listen, look, it was easy for this clam shack to go get these barriers. Yeah. Obviously, they were able to install them. Why didn't they do so beforehand? You know, if it's something known to um, people in that business, restaurateurs, people without door seating, that they can have this type of um, protection for their patrons and this place didn't do it, well, that's Ooh. negligent. I mean, I, I don't know. Many times, you know, driving around the state, you go by at this time of year, these like ice cream stands, which yeah. always have lines of people in the middle of a parking lot. And yeah. they all look like disasters waiting to happen because yeah. they don't put up the protective devices or barriers uh, to protect people standing on line in very close proximity oh. to um, cars coming in and out, coming in off the street, getting, trying to get out of the parking lot, trying to park. Trying, it's crazy. Oh. Um, and you would think that this case, which will clearly result in claims being made against the Clam Shack's insurance policy, that now it would be very difficult for anyone who does outdoor dining to not know they should know or reasonably should now know, Hey, we better get some of these barriers up because it's very easy for these things to happen. If your, your listeners may recall that, I don't know, maybe two or three years ago at um, the Matunic oyster bar, another yeah. elderly guy hit the gas instead of yeah. the brakes and creamed a few people uh, and injured others very seriously. And that's another situation where there was insufficient security, insufficient barriers. At least that was the allegations. I don't think that case has gone to court yet or settled, but this is the same type of allegation. And you've got people, if your listeners have ever been there, there's a parking lot. It's crazy. It's always busy. There's valets. Cars are coming in and out. People are coming in and out. And there's people walking through the parking lot. And you have a bad day where somebody does exactly what happened here, hits the gas right. instead of the brake, and you have a tragedy on your hands. Yeah. And it's easily remedied if you put up the appropriate barriers. Yeah. And people should be careful just because you see some place they put some picnic tables like, oh, we have outdoor seating. Well, it doesn't mean that it's it's safe and protected outdoor seating. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Attorney Tim Dodd, our legal expert, right here on the John DePietro Show. We're speaking with the next time you have an emergency, Head straight to AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Suite 122 in Johnston, or East Greenwich 5750 Post Road. AtMed Urgent Care. Urgent health care facility providing comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals, families, specializing in ambulatory medicine. Diagnostic treatment service, AtMed urgent care they provide immunization school sports physicals they're a cost-efficient health care alternative to hospital-based emergencies they're open seven days a week walk-in routine urgent care minor surgical orthopedic and trauma work-related injuries physical exams drug testing full laboratory services and with atmed urgent care they offer mononuclear antibody infusions you someone in your family suffering from covid you want to go straight to atmed urgent care two locations johnston 1524 atwood avenue suite 122 or east greenwich 5750 post road online at atmedurgentcare.net our legal expert attorney tim dot tim this next story it's not funny but somehow in pennsylvania there's I was unaware of this, but that these families go and there's Sesame Street characters. So someone starts filming and notices that the characters ignore the the film they put forward, ignore the children of color, these furry Muppet people from Sesame Street. And but they're hugging the the white children. And and this has reached the point where they, they actually have a lawsuit now. And, and it's turned into a huge, huge story with an attorney. And they, they want whoever was in the Cookie Monster outfit fired. I mean, it sounds comical, but you, you look at some of the footage. The footage is the footage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not funny. I, I'm just not really 
up on this place. Uh, I think the character. Never heard of it. Yeah. I think the character is Rosalita, or she's yes. supposed to be some young. Um, uh, One of them. Girl, uh, a, a young girl of like Hispanic yes. ancestry is the character that's being portrayed by a person in a costume, and the allegation is that this character goes around, holds hands with, you know, I guess the uh, Caucasian kids hugs the Caucasian kids, gives them attention and does not give attention to the little, little girls of color who want to get some attention from this um, Sesame street character. character. Yeah. Uh, I'm not giggling at what's alleged. No, it's... it's terrible. If true, I haven't seen the video, but it's this kind of a surreal scene. Um, and it's, unusual to think that in this sesame park the allegation is they're discriminating against yeah. uh, little girls of color if it's true um the the employee should be fired if it's mm. true then the question is you know did the park management or supervisors know that this type of conduct was going on right this lawyer says that he's got about 25 to 30 families wow. who have made the same complaint question would be, all right, let's assume the first complaint was three months ago. Has any of these family members who feel that their kid was ignored or disrespected gone to anyone at the park and said, hey, listen, you know, your Rosalita character over there is ignoring my kid and only ignoring the, the kids of color. What's up with that? Because if the park is put on notice and they don't do anything about it, well, um, then there's a problem. If no one ever reported that this unusual conduct was going on, the question is, how was how, how would the park have necessarily known if no one complained? Sure. Or has this employee ever said things to other employees in the past which were disparaging towards the types of folks that the employee was ultimately ignoring or disrespecting? Um, it sounds like there's something to this, John, and I'm sure the video would corroborate. I mean, if the lawyers up there saying I've got video, if, if uh, this park doesn't want to do something about this and issue an apology, I got a ton more video that I can release. Mm. Um, and as we've seen in the past, you know, videos are compelling. Um, yeah. they, they paint a picture that you know, a statement from a lawyer does something, but to see a video, if it bears out that this Sesame Street character is ignoring certain kids, um, that's going to be compelling and very embarrassing for this park. Um, yeah, and the character claims, you know, the, the they costumes are see. hot, they can't see, they're in a parade, there's all kinds of kids coming at them. I, I don't know. It is, but the I counterpoint, never thought of you go the to counterpoint the, okay. is... Go ahead. You know, the counterpoint is they're saying, well, I couldn't see these kids. Well, what is it that your, your vision is always obscured in this, this Rosalita head that you have to wear yeah. that you can only see the Caucasian kids and not right. the other kids. I mean, mm. that's the problem. Yeah. That's going um, to be the problem. Cause that, that story uh, in my view, based on what I know to date, this doesn't hold water. Yeah, it doesn't. I'm just thinking, you, you know, you go to pick a, a sport and there's a mascot and they're tossing, you know, baseballs or hats. Or so, you know, I, I never thought like, hey, wait a minute. It seems like all the white kids are getting all the T-shirts or whatever from the mascot. Tim, Dad, what about this story? Do police need a warrant to search an abandoned cell phone? I, I've never I, I think that's really interesting. The type of thing that, you know, could really uh, play a crucial role in a trial. Well, the, the rules on this um, aren't the strongest. I mean, the classic e example is, um, let's assume the cops think that Mr. X is a suspect on a particular crime, and they don't have enough information to get a warrant, so they can't get into Mr. X's house, but they're watching. And on trash day, Mr. X puts his trash out. Now, when a person puts trash out by the curb, to be picked up by the trash men and women. Um, it's presumed that you don't claim exclusive ownership or possession of that. You consider it trash or junk and you're discarding it. 
and cops have pretty free reign to go into your trash cans and pull out your trash bags and go yep. through it to see if there's anything incriminating that they can come across. They don't need a search warrant for that. So cops are trying to analogize that, well, if it's a phone that's been disregarded, but you didn't either um, have a security code to access it, or if you didn't wipe your information clean, if you've chucked your cell phone into, let's say, a trash can, um, what's the difference between that cell phone, if the cop can access it and get all your information, um, versus your trash cans out by the side of the road on trash day. Yeah. Um, it's a good argument, except that there's so much more sensitive yeah. information um, on, on a smartphone, let's say, than the, the scraps of paper and banana peels that might be in your um, weekly uh, trash containers waiting for pickup. I, I The cops analogize that way. I, I don't see it that way because these phones have lots of personal information, phone yes. numbers, you know, social security numbers, contact yep. information, PIN numbers, TSA numbers, all yep. kinds of things. Um, so I don't think it's a fair analogy. And as this goes through the court system, as it invariably will, I, I think the right result would be that a warrant would have to be obtained unless oh. there's some ex exigent circumstance that they've yep. got to get into the phone immediately. What's the harm in going for a warrant? Now sure. you can have the phone in a control setting where you can go through it um, appropriately. Um, it seems like the right way to go. Folks, we're speaking with our legal expert attorney, Tim Dodd. Tim, uh, you had a relative, I had a good friend, uh, lived on Johnson's Pond in Coventry, the late Walter McLaughlin, yes. rest in peace. Um, what, what is about this back and forth between the pond owner now filing the lawsuit in federal court i'm hearing a lot of people complaining in coventry well the complaints have been long-standing because i don't know maybe i want to say maybe five years ago time flies it could be longer um a, a private business purchased johnson's pond and yep. its water and its water rights and the dam so these owners have the right and the obligation to appropriately control water levels by appropriately controlling the dam and what the dam is intended to do. Um, residents, many residents complain, and I'm not sure if their complaints are legitimate or just sour grapes, that they complain that the owners play with the water level, making it really low during the summer which impedes people's ability to use their motorboats and watercraft and jet skis and all that kind of stuff. Yep. And the allegation is further. What you hear anecdotally is that the owners are playing with the water levels because they want to extract more money from the owners whose property abuts the pond water. Mm. That is already in litigation to the best of my understanding. I know it's in litigation but this is something different because the owners are irritated that they think the, the property owners, let me say, the single family homeowners think that the owners of the water in the dam are manipulating water levels to punish the homeowners who don't want to pay more money, uh, fees, whatever you want to call it, a tax, a fee to the, the new owners of the pond. So the state comes in and says, there's a new statute saying that the state can regulate the level of the water. And to me, that this seems inappropriate. This is a private body of water. Certainly DEM does have jurisdiction over certain things that go on in the pond. You know, if there's a boating accident, DEM has jurisdiction concurrently with the Coventry Police Department. DEM can get involved if somebody improperly installs, let's say, a dock without getting appropriate permits, if they're disturbing um, wetland features, um, DEM does have some jurisdiction. But the owner is ultimately responsible to control the water level. So if DEM says your water level should be here and the owner says it should be there, who's the final authority? 
Yeah. I, I know the um, owner of the pond water and the dam is now in court cha- challenging this statute. And whatever the owner of the pond water has done vis-a-vis all the homeowners, that's one thing. But I believe that this law that's been put in to give DEM authority over the owners and what they can do with their water, I I think the statute is going to get struck down. This Mm. seems like it's gone too far. And I understand the reason to try to protect all these homeowners, but I think it's gone too far. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Turning Tim Dodd right here on the John DePietro Show. The Senadale Revival. Stop in and see them comfort food and cocktails. You're going to love the Senadale Revival. Located 2025 Smith Street, North Providence, right in Senadale, right across from North Providence Town Hall. Delicious food, delicious drinks, live entertainment on the weekends. Shane and his crew, they're waiting for you. A great time is going to be had by all at the Senadale Revival, 2025 Smith Street in North Providence. We're speaking with our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, this headline, prosecutor warns Georgia officials they may face charges in, in Trump inquiry. This seemingly caught some people off guard. And this this still has not gone away from what was happening after the 2020 election. No, and it's not going to go away till the 2024 election. I yeah. mean, they're going to keep it going everywhere they can. Um, I'm not sure if the... Um, threats or the warnings that they could be dragged into um, potential criminal prosecution is meritorious, but most folks don't really follow the story. They read the headline. Yeah. And they say, oh, there's more Republican shenanigans going on, manipulating, you know, votes in um, the state of Georgia. Um, Or there's lots of allegations about, you know, the um, electors, which were allegedly, um, either properly in place to go to the electoral college or improper fraudulent electors. Um, There's lots of litigation about that. Um, It's a good headline. Uh, It did catch people off guard. I just don't know how much substance there is to the story. Um, It does make for a great headline. I mean, look at, uh, I don't want to veer off, but look at January 6th. I mean, the headlines you have people talking about hearsay upon hearsay upon yeah. hearsay, things that would never get into a courtroom, never be right. heard by a jury. They're talked about ad nauseum in front of this very biased committee, and the media dutifully reports on it. But now, Trump's attorney was in front of the committee last week, Pat Cipollone. He goes in. Oh, we got to do this one behind closed doors. Yeah. Oh, there'll be a transcript. We'll be letting the transcript out. Nothing. Crickets. Why? I mean, when when they get a witness who's going to say negative things regarding the Trump administration or the events of January 6th, it's a very splashy headline. Yeah. Um, but there's other witnesses who have testified, and the public has no idea what they've testified. That's no right. idea what they've been asked. No idea what they've been answered. Um, and it's completely manipulated by the committee members. So was this a perfect, was this a perfect day of January 6th? No, you know, people were injured, people died. There's a lots of negative repercussions, but I would really like to have seen a more judicious, um, appropriately investigated, um, Panel, not not what they've created. It's yeah. it's it's just it, it's not an even-handed situation. You've got oh. one side doing everything and spinning yep. things, and the other side has no voice, no ability to do anything. So Speaking it is what of it headlines, is. Twenty-five license plate cameras are set to start taking photos of cars. Tim Dodd, is this the type of thing the public should be somewhat concerned about? I think so. I mean, I understand yeah. why. Cops say they want it. You know, they installed them about a year ago in Cranston. I think they did one camera was on, I think, Broad Street in Edgewood. There's a few others. And it's like, oh, no, no, it's you know not for any nefarious person purpose. But they're racking up information every minute of every day regarding every vehicle that passes these cameras. How is that information being stored? For how yep. long is it stored? 
Right. Is it endless? Does it, you know, is it something where if nothing happens within a 24 hour period, it gets taped over, if you will? I don't think that's the case because they might be looking at a crime from four months ago and say, let's see if, you know, this vehicle passed this location. Sure. Um, it's too big brotherish for me. Yeah. I, if it was used appropriately, fine, but nothing is ever used appropriately. Everything gets abused in, of this nature. So in my view, hopefully the ACLU challenges it in some form or fashion because it's the kind of big brother thing that should make people very, very, very nervous. And Tim Don, finally, the correctional officer pled not guilty in the death of the inmate. Um, granted, procedural, but still... This is definitely out of the norm. Um, is this this is going to take some time to work work its way through this case? Yes, I mean this is this this kind of, a little bit reminds me of Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. Epstein was under alleged suicide watch. He had yep. two guards, which were supposed to check in on him every twenty minutes. There was a video that's supposed to capture everything that happened in that cell where Epstein was miraculously the video camera wasn't working and the um, correctional officers didn't check on him every 20 minutes. So apparently they were taking a nap for some of the time. I don't believe they've been charged criminally in this case. Um, this correctional officer was supposed to be keeping tabs on an inmate who was, I believe on a similar suicide watch. They had him stripped in his cell so that he couldn't use his clothing to, I guess, try to hang himself or something like that. But he did have a mask because of COVID protocols and he wound up swallowing or doing something with the mask um, to asphyxiate himself. Now, because the cop was, because the correctional officer, excuse me, was deemed to have been negligent in supervising and overseeing this inmate who was a known suicide risk, he's being charged with involuntary manslaughter I'm not sure that the charge will be sustainable. Um, you know, I'm certain that there's a video from everything that's happened in the prison on the day in question. And it will be a lot of seeing exactly what this um, prison guard was doing when he was, a, 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 the allegation is he should have been doing something different. Um, you know, was it simply negligence or does it become gross negligence, which gets you into the realm where you can be charged criminally? I think oh. it's going to be a tough case for the prosecutors. Yeah, that is a tough one. Folks, he is our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, great job as always. Stay safe and we'll talk to you again. Thanks, John. You too. Take care. The Coincid Inn. 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick, Rhode Island tradition since 1977. Delicious food, great atmosphere, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge. They can also accommodate large groups. A great meal, a feast is waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Stop it and see them all year round. 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. They're waiting for you at the Coesed Inn.